All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll receive the morning offering. Brother Tony Hoots, would you word our prayer, please? Thank you for that, Martha. I appreciate it. Morning, folks. How y'all doing this morning? Everybody looks happy. Looks like we're in a good mood. Sorry that we missed the banquet last night and everything. That was 100% totally my fault. Yeah. So anyway, I'll take the bl blame. Patty, she, she doesn't even want to sit in a Sunday school class. She's so upset with me. Anyway, she's actually over in Pastor Pugh's class. Get, get, no, she really is. But not because she's mad at me. She's, she does a whole bunch of other things besides that because she's mad at me usually. But um, she's over there kind of gathering some intel because I want to get an idea about how we're supposed to be doing this, uh, this uh, Sunday school lesson. I was given all this information, I think, finally on Thursday night. I got it from Pastor, and he said, here, you're going to teach this on Sunday morning. I said, great, that's really, that's really good. Anyhow, um, the, what we're going to be doing here is, and it's already up on the thing, steward, Stewarding Life, uh, written by a man named Paul Chapel. Have any of you all ever heard of Paul Chapel? I think so. Yeah, yeah. He's the uh, president of West Coast Baptist College in Lancaster uh, Baptist Church out there in Lancaster, California. And uh, I have had the privilege of sitting under this man's preaching on a few different occasions where he has done revivals and stuff for, at, for us up at our uh, church in Cleveland when we were up there. And uh, just amazing, just absolutely amazing stuff. And um, uh, I have been out to the college. Patty, as a matter of fact, she took several of our teenage kids uh, from the Christian school that our kids were at out there to the college to look at it. Over the years, we've known many young men and women that have gone out there to that school and have uh, sat under this, this uh, institution out there. And it's just good stuff. So anyway, um, Paul Chapel, he's been the uh, the you know, the senior pastor out there at that church for a number of years, as you go through and you read this book, 
it kind of alludes to the fact maybe he's been doing that job for the last 25, maybe even 30 years. I'm not sure about all the details and everything. But here's, what, here's why he wrote this book. When you go through here and you read this, it tells this story of him. They were, they were constantly expanding that college and the building things and just the church and all kinds of stuff. God has really blessed them with property out there. It's out in Lancaster, California, so it's kind of a little bit of a deserty situation and what have you. And uh, Paul, by his own admission, says he was burning the candle at both ends. He was one of these 24-hour-a-day committing his life to God and doing whatever anybody wanted him to do and all this kind of stuff. And... Uh, they were having this big church dinner that they were going to have, and he was preaching his 23rd message that week about this fundraising thing they were doing and just all of God's blessings. And he's sitting over, you know, like he'd be sitting in this chair right here, and he's getting ready to go up to preach to these folks. And all of a sudden he says, I, feel like, I felt like I was having a heart attack. And uh, um, so anyway, he wasn't having a heart attack, but he couldn't even get up to preach. And he writes in this book, he says, one of the deacons there noticed that there was something wrong, came over to my aid, immediately they dialed 911 and he got hauled off to the hospital and everything, right? And, um, and so you, you'll relate to this there, uh, uh, Wally. He got in there and what he had wasn't a stroke, or, or a heart attack or anything, he had his blood pressure was so high that it was causing all this trouble, kind of like you had here the other day, right? And so uh, he says, man, the people in the hospital, they were ministering, several of them were Christian people, so he got to witnessing and everything. Except for his cardiologist, this man was kind of an atheist, he wasn't, didn't believe in any of this stuff. But he told, he said, the cardiologist said to him, he says, you know, I don't, I don't know about your, I don't know anything about any of this stuff that you, you know, what your business is or anything. But I can tell you this, if you don't slow down and start paying attention to what you're doing and start limiting what you're up to and working 25 hours a day and all this kind of stuff, this will kill you. It will put you in an early grave. And then he decided, boy, all this effort that I'm making to do everything for God, maybe it's really kind of misplaced and what have you. And there's a, there's a difference between us doing all kinds of stuff and us stewarding our lives for God. And so that was what this book was, was written about. I have read through chapter four on it already, and it's fascinating. It's just, I've read other stuff by Paul Chapel, and this is just one of these standard, you know, I didn't expect anything less uh, when I start reading this book. But listen, chapters one, two, and three there, I have already personally decided that, well, I need to make some changes in my life here. This man is right on the, right on the money. So that's what we're going to be doing here for the next, uh, well, it's a 13-week-long program. And so for the next 12 weeks, we're kind of going to get started on lesson number one here this morning. With Part of that is just an introductory uh, thing. Now, now let me ask you this. Did you guys get... Was, was there any, were there sheets out there or a little book or something like that? Yeah, so there's some, there's some handouts and what have you here with that. And then a lot of what's on that sheet is just stuff that comes right out of the, right out of the, yeah, I, I got, where did you get them? Are, are they back on the table back there? Now, now, if my wife was in here, I could have her go out there and get them, but. 
maybe a few guys, maybe somebody can grab some and, and bring them in so we all have the, all have the lesson. Anyway, here's what we're going to be discussing, just as an overview of this thing, uh, for this. And as soon as everybody gets their, their thing, we'll kind of get on with it. But just a, just a little idea about the table of contents here. Lesson one, stewarding life. Lesson two is going to be on stewarding our time. Lesson three, stewarding our health. Four, stewarding energy. Lesson five, now, now this one here, lesson five and lesson six are stewarding our thoughts. Two, two lessons on that, part one and part two. Then lesson seven, stewarding trials. Well, we could all use some, we could all use some help on managing our trials that come up in our life, right? Those are those times when some, some people, when you have a trial, that's the only time you might pray to God, <laughs> right? But we ought to be doing that pretty much all the time, really. Lesson eight, stewarding resources. Nine, stewarding friendship. Then stewarding family, stewarding influence. Boy, there was a guy one time that, I forget who he, who he is, kind of a famous guy or something like that. Somebody asked him about the power that he has over people. Boy, you have a lot of power over people. And he said this, he says, I don't want power over people. I want to have influence on people. Yeah. Boy, that's what, G Jesus had influence on people, right? He had the power to do anything he wanted because he was God but he influenced people. And that's really how we ought to be about our faith and our Christianity. We ought to try to influence people to our way of, uh, way of doing it. I think Paul said in there, one of his things, and I've, I've told you all already, I'm not good at knowing chapter and verse on this stuff, but he said something. I'm persuaded that he's able to keep what he, what he said he was going to do. He can really do that and everything. That's, a, that's an influential thing that persuades somebody from one position to another. All right, stewarding our testimony, and then finally stewarding the gospel would be lesson number 13 there. And then, in the beginning of the book, it goes through and it tells how you're supposed to use this curriculum, and that's primarily for the teacher, but I'll give you a little idea about what this is all going to look like. So does everybody have a, a sheet now for filling in the blanks? All right. So, Father, let's, uh, let's just have a word of prayer. Father, we just come before you here this morning. We ask that you'd bless the time that we have here this morning to discuss your word, getting this new Sunday school lesson off the ground here. Lord, we're just uh, thankful that Paul Chapel would have gone through that trial that he went through so that we don't have to. We can learn from his, his uh, I won't call it a mistake, but by his experience that he's had here with, uh, with serving you. And Lord, help us all to develop a mindset that, um, that we would learn how to be stewards of our lives rather than just living them. And so, Father, I'd ask that you be with the other Sunday schools this morning and uh, help us to have a, a good time here that we would learn something from this, this uh, book that we're going to embark on. We love you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So the, it talks about the scheduling on this, and it, it says the schedule on all this Sunday school, it's undated. You can start this thing anywhere you want. You can use any of these lessons uh, anytime you want them. Uh, it, might, it might not even be that you would go through and use this as a, uh, just a straight 13 weeks in a row kind of Sunday school. I can tell you already, this is going to take me more than 13 weeks to get through it because every one of these segments is like 25 pages long. 
And so I mentioned to Patty this morning that uh, there's probably going to be a lot of this where, where the way the thing is laid out, it's, it's laid out beautifully, but there'll be, probably be a lot of it where I'm just going to be reading stuff to you guys from what the lesson plan is. Um, Paul Chapel is much more experienced and smarter than I am, so if we follow his lead and I just kind of, uh, you know, moderate the thing, that would probably be a, uh, that would probably be a good thing. So um, there's some companion resources, the little printable layout, or the little printable fill-in-the-blank thing that you have there is, uh, is part of that. And then there was also supposed to be a, a, a PowerPoint thing up here, which I think Preacher sent that over to me, but I, I didn't, it was on my iPad, so I didn't know how to, I don't know how to work a PowerPoint on my iPad. I hadn't opened it up on my computer yet to see what it was all about. But I think what it was, was I think it was just gonna be like each of these topic headings is, was, was just going to show up on the thing here and everything. So the, the overview of the thing is that um, uh, each, in each place there's a little overview of each one of these lesson plans that just gives us a good idea of what we're supposed to, what we're supposed to get out of it. You know, you have a guy, you're trying to teach somebody how to do something and you say, here's what our objective is. At the end of this lesson, you're supposed to know how to do this. And the overview is all the different things that you're going to do to actually accomplish that. And then uh, he says that there's some lesson illustrations here. And it says illustrations can be extremely helpful in communicating truth. Throughout the curriculum, there's all kinds of these little illustrations that are some of Paul Chappell's personal experiences that he's had. And then some of them are are uh, you, you know just stuff that kind of made up like anecdotal or there may be like a parabolic uh, so, sort of a thing. And, um, and so with, with that in mind, it also goes on to say, you ought to try to include some of your own experiences here. And, and as we get through, as we talk about these different things, I might ask somebody, hey, have, have you all ever had this or anybody ever had an experience with this sort of thing? So far in chapter, in, in verse, you know, the first part of this thing, in just reading the book, I could sit here and go, wow, I've got all kinds of experience with all this. But it's not anything that's beneficial to you folks because it was all me fouling up whatever it is I was supposed to be doing. So anyway, we'll, we'll, get, into, uh, we'll get into that. And now we'll go ahead and get started off here with, with lesson one. So as we go through and there's these places where you're supposed to underline and that sort of thing, I'll try to, I'll try to you know, make sure that, that I tell you which ones you're supposed to do here. So at the very beginning of the thing, in this stewarding life, it's, it starts off with this right here. It starts off with uh, Genesis 1, 26 through 28. And the main emphasis of this whole thing is that God is the giver of life. He's the reason why we're here. He's the protector of life. He's the one that gives us our timetable that we're supposed to live on here and everything. And so it starts off in, in the very first part of this text, and we'll, we're going to read this well, I'll just read it the one time right now, and then it'll be referenced again down the road. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created him he, created he him, male and female, created he them. Boy, that's news to a lot of people in our, in our society nowadays. Male and female. <laughs> Some kids don't even know what they are anymore. It's crazy. Anyway, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, 
Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So, the, um, the first part of this thing here, the lesson overview of stewarding life, that is, of managing and balancing God's gifts and enable us to invest our lives in that which has lasting significance. So don't focus on the short term. Life is but a vapor. We're here for, for um, you know, around, what does it say, 70 years or something like that. Nowadays with modern medicine and all this sort of thing, maybe some people live up into their 90s and, and that sort of thing. But he talks in the book about a, um, one of the pastors or one of the deacons out there at his church decided that at age 50, he was going to get a, a jar and put marbles in it. And he was going to figure out how, how many marbles it would be for him every week to get to age 70. And he's been taking marbles out of that jar. And when it's at the end, you're kind of living on borrowed time, right? And I thought about that because I'm 61 now. And so I've got only 10 years worth of those marbles to, to, to put in there, you know. And I don't know how many marbles that would be. What would that be? 10 years, 52, 520 marbles, right? Am I adding that up right? Or is that just, yeah, I think, I think that's right. That's not a whole lot of marbles. And so um, anyway, it just gives you, and what, what this man's point was, it just gives you a perspective on our lives and, and where they're at and how short they really are, you know. The... Um, don't worry about tomorrow. You're not promised tomorrow. We're, today's got its own share of troubles and all this, right? So anyway, as we, as we go through, we'll, we'll get on with this. And then here's our, here's our outline. Introduction. If you walk into any bookstore here, uh, he says, you're going to find hundreds of books in there on managing our life. You know, self-help section of, you know, Barnes and Noble or Borders books or whatever, if you can even find a bookstore anymore. I know they're kind of few and far between, what have you. One of Patty and I's things that we really love to do is to go walk, just walk around in a bookstore. But you go in those self-help sections and there's, oh, here's how you can do your health and here's how you can do your business and here's how you can be successful at this. And, and uh, most of those books are really based on you know, dream big and do whatever you have to do to get your goals in line and, you know, get up at five o'clock in the morning every day and do this and this and this and all is going to be good. No, no problems with anything, right? Um, so it's all about setting goals, managing people, and, and the list could go on and on. Um, obviously, life management is a popular and necessary skill and there's lots of books in there. You know, my, uh, my late great hero, Rush Limbaugh, he used to say, yeah, go into those same stores and you're not going to find any books in there at all on how to fail in your life. Because we do that automatically. That's just a, like you don't find a book on how to breathe. E even though I think actually you do find books on how to breathe now. There's all kinds of stuff about, yeah, you should take in a deep breath and exhale and hold it for five. Okay, I've started breathing 61 years ago and been doing it pretty successfully all that time without ever reading a book about it, right? And, and so you got all these different things like that that you, um, that you go through. And he talks about even if you just look at the uh, uh, surface skim of these books is, is just what, you know, it's all about self-help and you're the guy and all this sort of thing. Man, I'll tell you, focusing on yourself is really a bad idea. You need to focus on your, your faith and your Christianity and focus on helping other, other people out. So here's where he goes on to talk about this 
to talk about this book and what we're doing here. Stewarding life is a different concept. Rather than focusing on self-fulfillment and personal legacy, we start by recognizing that life is a gift from God, and He has entrusted us to steward for Him. Additionally, every resource we have comes from God. Our time, finances, health, relationship, influence, every component of our life is a resource from God. Our approach to the resources that God has given us will determine our success in fulfilling God's purpose for our lives. So I, underline, or I highlighted this to just make sure that I get the emphasis on this. There are really only three basic methods people choose to appropriate the resources God has given them. Now listen, here they are. Squandering, spending, or stewarding. All right? Squandering. We squander God's resources when we indiscriminately waste them in purposeless living. The approach is rampant in our society. There's a divine live and let live. All these sort of things come into mind when you talk about people that squander things. We've heard about, we, you've heard somebody say, oh, that guy, he, won't, he got all this money inherited and he squandered it. He just did away with it. Didn't pur purposely, there's a story in the Bible about that, right? The prodigal son goes out, hey, dad, let me have my inheritance. I'm going to go out here. And then, boy, he comes to his senses when he's finally shoveling the hog pen out. Anyway, um, some squanderers are directionless wasters, but others waste resources by using life for less than it was designed to accomplish. This category would include even the most successful and disciplined executives who are investing their resources. When you consider that we have the opportunity to live successfully with a divine mission and to invest our lives in eternal purposes, to do anything less is a tragic waste. Then the next topic they talk about here is spending. On the opposite end of the spectrum from the squanderers are the spenders, those who spend God's resources without allowing them to be replenished, right? So we hear about this a lot in our society right now on renewable resources, replenishing supplies, all this kind of stuff. And I remember hearing all these stories out here about that here, I don't know how many years ago it was now, but uh, there was some big concern about the number of trees that we chop down every year or what have you. And I remember reading this one statistic, and it said every day they chop down a, a, as many trees as, as are in the state of New Hampshire. And I thought, wow, that's a lot of trees. You know, New Hampshire is a small place, but that's still an awful lot of trees. So I thought, I'm just going to do some mathematics and do that. And if what they were saying was true, there wouldn't be one tree left standing on this entire planet anywhere <laughs> after about two years or something. So, so anyway, there, there's, there's, just, there's just not a lot of truth to that. But there is a lot of truth to this. Things are renewable. You know, Warehouse, or they're the people that, that were uh, kind of really opposed to this stuff. They're the people that have wood, paper, all kinds of stuff. They deal with chopping down trees and making stuff out of them and everything, right? And uh, they came out and they said, look, in our business model, we got it figured out how this works. If we chop down one tree, we need to plant a whole bunch more trees or we're going to go out of business. And so through, through maybe some motivation, financial, business motivation or whatever, they are replenishing what it is. Well, we have the ability to have God replenish for us what we need. He did invent us. He made us. He put us all together and everything. So he can replenish every resource that we use up here if we, if we let him do it. 
All right. Those of us who have already determined to live for God's glory long to see God multiply our resources and we fiercely drive ourselves to minister fully to others. That's what, that's what we want to do. Listen, we may even convince ourselves that God is miraculously enabling us to serve like Superman, but the truth is if we give without being replenished, we eventually will become empty, just like the people chopping down all the trees out there. All right. God's created this life in us for us to do things for his purpose, and he's not going to ill-equip us to do, to do this stuff. All right. And then finally, uh, we must humbly remember that our lives are not ours to spend foolishly. We should invest our lives only at a pace in which we can receive God's enabling resources. And Paul Chapel was very careful about this because he recognized after sitting up on that stage that, man, he really needed to make some changes in the way he was doing things. This, this doctor, this cardiologist said, this is going to kill you. Uh, when the deacons of the church found out about that and the associate pastors found out about it, they basically said, Paul, you got to leave church. You're not welcome back here until you go and get some rest and, and reflect on what's going on because we need you to be around, but we don't need you to be sick and having heart attacks and blood pressure. That's, his blood pressure was 220 over 115, I think was what the book said there. And so anyway, he had a, an uncle that had a nice cabin out in the middle of nowhere in Colorado, and him and his wife, Terry, went and spent some time out there, and that's where he started really writing down some notes about what in the world should I be doing with my life and how should all this, how should all this work. And then uh, finally the last thing here, stewarding. A better option than spending our lives is stewarding our lives. Stewarding life means that I recognize life itself is a gift from God and that I purpose to use it for his glory. It also means that I recognize God graciously provides the resources need, that we need to carry out his purposes. He gives and sustains life he provides and replenishes my resources. A steward is one who spends by investment. All right? He or she is commissioned to appropriate pur purposefully and wisely the resources of the master or employer. This is what we want to do with our lives. We want to discover the purpose God has built into our lives and live it out by, by fulfilling his goals for us. Now keep in mind that those things are all different for every, every one of us in here. There's preachers, teachers, uh, folks that go out and knock on doors and folks that work in, the, in the, you know, the, the fellowship hall back there and people that decorate the church and all these different things. There's all kinds of different things. But you don't want to wear yourself out on those without giving yourself some time to rest and take a break from them and, and this sort of thing. So the very first, the very start of this thing and getting into the actual lesson plan itself now where you guys are going to be doing some writing down some stuff. The first part here is the origin of life. And so origin is your first blank to fill in there, the origin of life. As we begin to understand stewardship, we will lay a biblical foundation for the gift of life. Before, you know, before we know how to steward properly the resources God has given, we must understand what life is all about. We must answer the question, what is my purpose on earth? So, have you ever asked that question of yourself? What is my purpose on earth, either in a positive or a negative light? You know, people that put guns to their head might be saying, what in the world am I doing here? What's the meaning of all this stuff? What in the world am I up to? You know, I mean, that's a pretty desperate end 
to a measure that's lived in a life of despair and not knowing, particularly a life that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, you can come up with that. But you know, in a very positive note, you might be looking at it like this. What does God want me to do? What's my purpose in life? I know that I'm bought with a price, that God, that Jesus shed his blood for me to atone for my sins. So what would he like for me to do? What's my purpose in life? So we can answer that question here. We can look into getting an understanding of that. The next underline is our eternal God. Understanding the beginning of life is significant because of what it tells us about God. Now, we just read Genesis there a little bit ago, and, um, and we'll talk about that. It comes up a little bit later on in this lesson, too, but there's a bunch of other scripture here, too. We learn that God is eternal, the source and upholder of all life, the spring of living water. Psalm 36.9 says it like this, For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. All right. Jeremiah 17.13 says this, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed, and they that depart from me shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. God alone is self-existent. No one made or created God. He's been here all, all along. Exodus 3.14 states this, And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And that he said, Thus shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. So there he is. He was here from the beginning. No beginning, no end. All right. Next, be here, our creating God. Our creating God. So creating is an underline, fill in the blank. It would be impossible to learn God's plan for life without starting in Genesis where life itself began. God created Created means to bring into existence. There was nothing, and then God spoke creation into existence. And that, again, that's Genesis 1, 26 through 28. And that, um, and that right there is in your, in your handout also. You should have that on your little booklet. All right. Verse 26 in there gives us clear reference to the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Notice God said, let us, let us, speaking of all three. God created Adam like God, sinless with three parts, body, soul, and spirit. And we talked about that quite a bit in the doctrine class that we went over. We talked a whole bunch about all the, the Trinity, the triune God, and, and how we have that kind of in our bodies here also. Ephesians 4.24 says this, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And later on, we kind of fouled that up a little bit. But uh, through the shed blood of Christ, we can, we can get that, those sins forgiven and atoned. Have you ever wished you could travel back in time to observe some of the miracles of Scripture? Think of the creation of the very first man. This was something that Paul kind of writes in here, and then he gets off on a little bit of a tangent. But you know, I've wondered about that. When we were up in, um, when we were up in uh, uh, Kentucky and we went to that ark exhibit up there and everything, I think some of you guys have been up there to that thing. Yeah, you go, I kind of wondered, wow, what would it have been like out here to see this guy and his kids building this thing, you know, knowing his son's out there building this ark and the people coming around and, and laughing at him and saying, hey, you idiot, what are you, what are you talking about? There's What's rain? We've never even heard of that before. We don't even know what you're talking about here with all that stuff. But boy, they 
they became believers when the first drops of rain started to, to fall down, right? And so I wondered what that would have been like. His little thing here, what would it have been like for, to be around when God created man? What would it have been like to see the, 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 the Red Sea open up and, and let these guys walk across on dry land and all this? I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff in the Bible that it might have been pretty interesting to be around there. I'm pretty happy that I'm here in this time, though. I can still have the stories about it and know about uh, Jesus and everything. All right. So, um, Genesis 2-7 states this, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Yeah, we're a living soul. There's a lot more to this bone and flesh and my mind and my heart and all that stuff. After I drop dead here, there is a soul that goes on into eternity someplace, and we should be very careful about telling people about that. How many times have we hurriedly read this passage without pausing to take a glimpse of that incredible moment when God crafted his creative masterpiece of human life, formed him out of the dust of the earth and everything? He comments here, he says, God is a master artist and human life is his signature creation. You know, he's, you, you just look at that and you go, wow, he made us. He's the one that thought of this. If I could make a dog and see the thing walk around, I'd be, I'd be pretty happy about that. I would love for that thing to be my buddy and my friend and pal and all that stuff. God created us to be in fellowship with him and, and breathe, breathe, turned us into a living soul. All right. This is, um, this is one of the illustrations out of the book here. This kind of made me chuckle just a little bit because there. There, on one side of the equation, there's some truth to this. On the other side of the equation, it might cause some dissension among the, uh, among the husbands and wives here. Some have humorously commented on the creation of Adam and Eve in this way. After God created Adam, he looked at man and said, I can do better than that. And then he created woman. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So um, anyway. I'm happy that God created my wife the way that he did. I, I, I commented here the other day, I, she wasn't around or was sick or something like that, and I felt like I was walking around without an arm, and mostly most of my brain, too, was missing at the time, you know. But anyway, uh, God did create, us, create men and women, and the beautiful thing is, is he created men to be one way. He created women to be exactly the, the, the way they're supposed to be created, so that when you put the two of them together, it's perfect. It's a perfect union. It might not be a peaceful union all the time, but it's a perfect, you guys got your, your husbands and wives for the person that God wanted you to have as your husband or wife, and that, that should work out that way. All right. Number two here, the sanctity of life. As until we understand the value of the gift of life, we are prone to squander it. So the sanctity, that's another underlined here. And then right next, right behind that then is because it is provided by God. Sanctity of life. It's provided by God. That's why, it's, why it has sanctity to it. We recognize that life is sacred because it's provided by God. In fact, your life was purposefully created by God, specifically planned even before you were born. Even within the womb, life is significant to God. Scripture affirms this truth through several passages. God told Jeremiah that he knew and planned him. Listen, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Boy, God knew all about him. Amen. God knew all about us too, by the way. When the angel prophesied to Zacharias of the birth of John the Baptist, 
Here's what he says about this in Luke 1.15. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. The psalmist sang of God's detailed interest in intervention in the parental care of human life. Psalm 139, 13-16 says this, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. From the moment of conception, life is sanctified and recognized by God. Life is a valuable possession and one that we should learn to steward wisely. All right. Now next here, B. Here's another underline. Because it is protected by God. Value of life not only seen in God's creation of life, but it's also clear in his protection of life. The illustration earlier that the point of fact that life is provided by God also defines what life is to God. Life is sanctified and recognized by God at conception. God knew Jeremiah before he formed him. John the Baptist was filled in the Holy Spirit in the womb. David praised God for forming him and knowing him in the womb. Illustration, notice that the following statistics on abortion in the United States. Now, let me comment on this for just a second. And I want to give out these statistics and everything because it is, uh, it is uh, recently, here over the past six, eight months or something like that, is another thing that's become controversial in our country. Again, just like it was back in 1973, I guess it was, when Roe versus Wade got put into law and what have you. But these numbers here are from... 2014, and then there's a statistic in here from even 2011. So these things have, have ebbed and flowed in here, and at one point it peaked out way worse than these before. Um, I'm hopeful that because of God answering prayers from people that cared about the abortion issue and, you know, every day might have been on their knees about, we really shouldn't be killing babies in the womb here in America anymore, and all that stuff should have never started doing it in the first place. But uh, um, the, the, the fact of the matter, God has done something with that. In somebody's hearts, minds, people that have power, people that have authority to change these things, they have, they have changed some of the rules on this. Roughly 1.2 million abortions are performed every year in the United States. As the time of this writing, 147,708 abortions have already been performed in the United States this year. And this is from a, I didn't even know there was such a website, but this is where it's from, numberofabortions.com, 2014. At the time of this writing, over 57 million abortions have been performed in the United States since the Roe v. Wade Supreme Court case. This was another thing. This came from numberofabortions.com in 2014. Between October 1st, 2011 to September 30th, 2012, abortions outnumbered adoption referrals at Planned Parenthood. Haven't heard much about our old buddies at Planned Parenthood. I think they're mostly out of business now because they kind of got defunded. That was all of our taxpayer dollars helping out there, folks. So um, I'm glad that if that's the case, that there's not any more of my tax dollars going over there to that mess. This was from a cnsnews.com, Boland in 2014 wrote this, outnumbered adoption referrals. About 17% of abortions done each year in the United States are done on 
on teenagers. Oh, that's sad. That was from gookmacher.org. Uh, there was a report. That was done in, in uh, 2008. Planned Parenthood's website tells teens how to legally seek to get an abortion without informing their parents. Boy, that's just what I want. Somebody to tell my kids how to do stuff behind my back. This is an evil, it's an evil enterprise, these people. Even in the states with laws generally mandating a parent give consent to or at least be informed of the abortion. All right? Yeah, Planned Parenthood, their, their uh, planned murder is what, they ought to, is what the name of the place ought to be. Incidentally, if you want to read an interesting book about how barbaric in all this and how evil the abortion industry really is, it's a famous book written, it's titled Gosnell, G-O-S-N-E-L-L. And it's a book about this, this guy was a famous abortion doctor out in Philadelphia. Go, go read that book if you wanna, if, if, you're not, if you're not moved to get on your knees to pray about that issue, go read that book and you'll be in tears and you'll be on your knees a lot before you get, get through it. It's, uh, it's not gruesome. Don't get me wrong, I don't want you to, you know, it's not an axe murderer thing or any of this kind of stuff, but it is a very uh, careful look at that industry and what, what this guy in particular did. He's still, uh, he's still in jail now, saying, I didn't do anything wrong, I didn't do anything wrong. Yet he, he, there are even standards in abortion that you have to do, and this guy did absolutely none of them. Anyway... One pro-life author shared his experience conducting an open forum on a radio talk show. The show's host was an atheist. Here is his testimony. It says here, from, from the start, the callers were antagonistic. I could feel the tension as soon as the lines lit up. One angry woman caller said, all you people have is an agenda you're trying to promote, referring to abortion, she said. You want to take away our rights and invade our private lives. Abortion had not even been brought up. And so he says, just a minute, I replied, we didn't even raise the subject here. And I said, can, can I ask you a question here, lady? On every university campus I visit, somebody stands up and says that God is an evil God to allow all this evil in our world. This person typically says, a plane crashes, 30 people die and 20 people live. What kind of God would arbitrarily choose to let li some live and some die? What kind of God does that? All right. I continued, but when we play God and determine whether a child within a mother's womb should live, we argue for that is a moral right. So when human beings are given the privilege of playing God, it's called a moral right. When God plays God, we call it an immoral act. Can you justify this for me? Click. That was the end of the conversation. Because when you're accusing God of something that he's not, and then you have to justify it before a live telephone audience, you don't have a leg to stand on. She couldn't answer the question, hung the phone up, and so it gives you an idea about where these people are at with this, with this whole issue of abortion. That was the end of that conversation. The sixth... Of the Ten Commandments prohibits murder. God is very clear that we are not free to end our own lives or anyone else's life. Exodus 20.13 states this, Thou shalt not kill. That's pretty clear. 
In that one four-word statement, God clearly communicated the value places on life. Even before the Ten Commandments were given to Moses, God gave human government the responsibility to protect life. Genesis 9:6, Whoso sheddeth a man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. The New Testament likewise affirms the right of government to impose the death penalty. Romans 13:4, For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Obviously, God values life. He created it. He sustains it. He sanctified it, and he protects it. And then the next thing here, let's see, we're, we had bell one, right? Uh, okay. So the next thing here is your next underlined thing here under Roman numeral number three here, the, so the sovereignty of God over life. And then first it talks about in the giving of life. We know that God creates life, but let's go a step further to remember that only God creates life. He is completely sovereign over life from conception to death. Some of the most well-known Bible accounts that support this truth are of women who wanted children and were specially given them by God. Here's a story about Sarah in Genesis 18, 13 through 14. And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surety, surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Yeah, so we all remember that story. They were, they were thinking, how in the world is this going to happen? Well, God opened up her womb, was able, to, uh, was able to provide her a son. Hannah. 1 Samuel 1, 5, and then 19 and 20. But to Hannah... He gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And they rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come about, after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord." So her womb was shut up there for a pretty good while, and there was some prayer, some other things, sanctification there done, and asked for this baby, and there the Lord opened that, opened that womb up. Elizabeth, Luke 1, 7, and then 11 through 14. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. These women all experience the reality that only our sovereign God opens and closes the womb. That's Zacharias. He got, he got his mouth closed up for a little while, too, there, didn't he, in, in that whole thing, <laughs> as I kind of recall. All right. Well, there's bell number two. So we will start off with the illustration of that as we get going next, uh, next week. So this is kind of what we're in for here, folks. I'm not sure exactly how this is going to go with this PowerPoint thing that we're Oh, look, I guess the, the thing is up there. It did, it did show up somehow. Thank you. You guys are geniuses up there at that end of the thing. 
Anyway, we'll just have a word of prayer and that'll be the end of the, the lesson here for today. Uh, Father, we just thank you for the time that you've given us here. We'd ask now that you'd be with the pastor as he comes to bring us a message this morning. We love you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Thank you, folks.